0: Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Virkula. In this podcast, which we do every Friday and comes out on the weekends, Paul Jacob covers the big stories that appeared during the week at thisiscommonsense.org. That's where he's been writing commentary five days a week since 1999.
1: We're just going to do everything all jumbled up on the fly this week. And it reminds me of, as a kid, you know, we go play football in the park or whatever and you know and and I had brothers and sisters and we you know always played sports and we'd be out front and uh playing in the street or something we always had plays and oh you're gonna go here and you're gonna go there and um you know and you know we'd, we'd map it out somebody would stand with their back to the other team and they'd map out what everybody was going to do lots of strategy and then uh and then you get in some pickup game where you know you're not as much in control, and you're just joining different teams, and and you get into the huddle, and you're ready for the plan, and, and almost nine times out of ten they go, everybody just go out, <laughs> so which means everyone just run, nobody has any idea where anybody's going to go. They could all go to the same place anyway. So that's our our uh, our strategy for this episode of this week in Common Sense is. Everybody just go out. We're just going to grab them on the fly. But we're going to start with number one.
0: And I should mention number one of the five pieces you wrote this week on Just Number so, one. So somebody somebody <laughs> knows what we're talking about. That's
1: all. Right. Let's just throw out numbers. That'll be – uh, and it's the accelerator, so we're going to speed into this. One of the most interesting things last week was Joe Biden – Coming up with more trillions to spend. And Alexandria Ocasio Cortez really kind of saying, hey, that's, uh, that's nothing. And, uh, you know, a little of this maybe, and uh, that we can do 10 trillion. Now she's talking about over 10 years. So it's only, it's only a trillion a year, a trillion here, a trillion there. What is so like just heartbreaking and frustrating. Is that what AOC is saying? Is what everybody else in Congress has been doing, and maybe not, you know, maybe not to the grand scheme. She wants to like go bankrupt overnight, but they're they've spent and spent with no sense of what deficits are. Um, you know, we're running we were running about a trillion dollar uh, a year deficit not spending, deficit spending, uh, spending what, almost $5 trillion a year. And that was before the pandemic. That was before all this extra spending. And of course, um, you know, Joe Biden with the $1.9 trillion spent as relief. And of course, this is relief because people desperately need relief. People desperately need relief. We heard this three months before they passed the darn thing. Now, if anybody desperately needed relief, they're gone. <laughs> three months. If, if you needed help because you couldn't make the mortgage, well, you'd be gone. You'd be out of your house. If you were starving to death, I'm afraid three months without any food, you're in trouble. In other words, the, everything's done on Washington's timetable. It's only an excuse. We know that a tiny fraction went to anybody who needed it. Instead, it went to all kinds of people who didn't need it and didn't ask for it. And you know, just it, what a what a silly, silly way to run a country. And especially, uh, 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 you know, what is the richest country in the world, the most powerful supposedly country in the world, and uh, and we run it, you know, insanely. And so there's a $1.9 trillion spent in that way. Here's another $2 trillion in infrastructure, but admittedly only 30% of it is really infrastructure. The other is all kinds of other spending ideas that go on. And then we're going to talk about another $2 trillion. So we're talking about $6 trillion. This isn't the budget. This is over and above the budget that is likely to be uh, have a, roughly a trillion in deficit spending. So this is, of course, all deficit spending, and, and this is 76 days into the Biden administration. But of course, we can condemn Biden and we can condemn AOC. But everyone else is along for the ride. Uh, You know, this is this is not this isn't something that we stumbled into. I mean, we've kind of stumbled into the let's spend extra during the pandemic. But we've been spending crazy for forever. Trump was spending huge amounts. uh, And the Congress that was a Republican Congress going right along with him. And in fact, the, the one interesting things, and, and we've talked about this through the years at, at uh, thisiscommonsense.org, the one thing that seems to make a difference in spending, and it's all big deficit spending for the most part, but the worst of it is when one party controls the Congress and the White House. That's been true for Republicans, it's true for Democrats. And it is true that both Republican Unified Republican government in Washington or unified Democratic government in Washington is bigger spending than divided government. We want divided government uh, because we want competition and we want checks and balances. The whole system is built on checks and balances. In fact, the whole problem is that we don't have any checks and balances. Um, The the people don't seem to have any checks And, and, and Washington isn't very balanced. But let me, let me tell you one thing I thought was, was particularly funny about what uh, uh, AOC had to say. She says, "I know, after she says, we can do 10 trillion. I know that may be an eye popping figure for some people, <laughs> which, of course, since she's kind of pop-eyed, as I mentioned, that the, the photo uh, well, explain the photogenic pop-eyed Paul, but we need to understand that we are in a devastating economic moment. Millions of people in the United States are unemployed. We have a truly crippled healthcare system and a planetary crisis on our hands. And we're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. And you think about what is she saying? On the one hand, she's saying that the sky is falling. We get to do whatever because, by golly, the sky is falling. And how often have uh, folks like AOC, politicians, snake oil salesmen told us that the sky is falling? But she said more than that. She said, the sky is falling and we still have checks. We still have checks. And that really is the depth of the economic analysis that is where we are. And uh, and boy, I you know I'm I'm somewhat shocked. Uh, and I'm not an economist, and you know maybe it's all above my uh, level. But I'm a little shocked that gold isn't higher. It's you know certainly has gone up over the last year or so. But I'm a little surprised that it's not a lot higher because it just seems to me. That uh, we're spending and spending. I mean, the entire Obama administration, the Fed never took their foot off the gas, and they still haven't taken their foot off the gas, and and it just goes on and on and on. And you just and and of course, it's easy for people to say, well, then maybe there's no problem. And you know, it's maybe a, a little over the top, but you know, when you jump out. The window of the 112th floor of some building, um, you know, there's no problem till you hit the ground. And that's the way that economic crises tend to happen. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's scary.
0: I'm kind of amused that you have, you were using the terms checks and balances, and she was talking about checks, two very different uses of the word checks there. I think we should keep that clear. <laughs> and you've mentioned before modern monetary theory. Uh, and that is something behind. It's 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 sort of a it's a theory. It's a very old idea that we can spend because we can spend. That's that the idea is as long as the system is geared for us, they can spend as much as they want because they have control of the uh, money supply. It's when they lose control. That's 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 what we're worried about. In a sense, in a sense, that's what we're worried about. And you were wondering about gold. Why isn't it higher? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, but we should note note that uh, Bitcoin is. High and yes. Bitcoin probably yes. is the future. And it turns out that even very, very, very rich people are interested in Bitcoin. It's not something just for nut bars, you know, people like me uh, or people with more money than me who invest heavily. A lot of my friends are just Bitcoin fanatics.
1: I, I know a lot of people who made a bunch of money on Bitcoin, some of them gave a lot of that money back and now it's back, uh, and, and so it's volatile. It's, uh, f- for someone like me who, uh, you know, I don't like to gamble because I hate to lose more than I like to win, uh, but, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant and conservative in these sorts of things, but, um, you know, it does seem like a good hedge if nothing else. In other words, I think you'd be insane if you were to put everything you had into Bitcoin, but its it seems to me that it, it serves some of the same functions as, as gold.
0: And it's designed to be deflationary. Uh, that is, it's designed not, it, it, you can't really artificially increase it beyond the strictures in the initial uh, design of the system itself. Uh, I think that what's gonna happen is that it's going to become the outside money to the money of the future. Uh, and in banking terminology, there's inside money and outside money. Inside money for a banking system is what's on their ledgers, right? It's what they loan out, it's what they have on their books. Uh, outside money is the currency, is the dollar bills the Treasury pr- prints up, uh, and it's, or especially the old days, it's gold and silver or whatever else is used as money. And I think Bitcoin is going to become the outside money, and the banking system is going to be based on it. And I suspect the transition is going to be very, very interesting. And the people who buy in now are apt to get, apt to do well. But you know, the IRS is very interested in your Bitcoin purchases, and especially sales. So it's not as if that it's a completely secret money that I thought it was going to be when it first developed.
1: That's interesting. We had some uh, comments uh, uh, of interest, I think, on, on uh, the accelerators and uh, Ken M, who uh, pointed out that, you know, it seems to me, although it was before his time, I think it's before almost all of our times, uh, pointed out the Weimar Republic and the inflationary period in, in uh, Germany. And, uh and said maybe you know maybe Aoc's on to something in that uh, in a short time quote a trillion dollars will become chump change perhaps enough to send a postcard to your representatives in Washington thanking them for their latest stimulus check which might just pay for the postcard uh, so uh, you know that's that's certainly the fear and and you know it's the kind of thing that if if you can just print up all the money you want and I remember the old Saturday night Live uh, thing where they they you know basically suggested let's let's just embrace inflation, make everyone a millionaire and you're just handing out millions of dollars to everybody. you know if that works, which under kind of modern monetary theory it would um, then then we're fine but uh, I also. Uh, Pat had one of my favorite uh, quotes, which we, I think, have used as a meme at thisiscommonsense.org uh, more than a few times. Uh, the trouble with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money, uh, which is a Margaret Thatcher line. And, you know, I, uh, uh, Thatcher, I can remember, you know, was tough on some things. And, of course, that means that when you're on her side, you really like her. And when you're not on her side, you don't like her at all. Uh but uh this is a great quote, but I never was much into Thatcher, and it was sort of before my time in that, you know, I mean I, I remember Reagan very well, but I I don't really, you know, I didn't I didn't kind of see the day-to-day things with uh uh with Britain, but I think I think in in when you look back, what is that now, 30, 40 years, Reagan. Uh, who you know, I, I sure wasn't fond of on everything. Um, uh, but Reagan's general thrust of, you know, we ought to do it as individuals, as people. Government isn't everything. Be careful. Don't don't trust government to do things government shouldn't do. Uh, that, that kind of basic, you know, skepticism about big government. And Thatcher kind of the same way, Uh, a very, you know, uh, traditional common sense, you know, look, the the world isn't going to just do everything for you. And I think we have kind of entered a new, just weird societal, you know, phase where large numbers of people think it is possible for the government to just do everything like, to just be wonderful cuz you don't have to do anything everything's kind of done for you and uh and you know that they don't say it that way it's not you know they don't say the government can do everything for us we can just sit on our duff but that's uh you know that that seems to be part of the uh uh part of the embrace now of and it, and it came with obama trying to really break against that you know clinton who, uh, uh, you know, Democrat, very liberal, uh, although seen as more of a centrist then, even though I think he's, he was not as centrist as he was portrayed. But um, but Clinton talked about the era of big government being over. Now, I think that was, you know, he was just trying to trick us. But and if you look at, at what we're spending, what we spent then, what we're doing, obviously he was trying to trick us. But uh, But Obama cut against that with the you know government can help and government can do great things and and um it's it's you know when you think of great things that government does it does them sometimes by killing lots of people and uh you know world war ii i'm glad we won i'm i'm glad that that we fought the nazis and we fought the you know totalitarian japanese um, and, and so on, but, you know, you don't want to do that all the time. I'd like to do it as infrequently as possible. And, and when you think of other things, uh, you know, I think people would point to social security, which has made people secure. Well, you know, how, how secure is social security is a whole nother question, but, but even there, it's, it's not like somebody else produced this money. This money that's being sent to Washington and then gets sent back to us, um, you know, government can just take so much credit for that. It's only on the receiving end and the sending back end. And so it's really only how much we sent in and how much did we get back and where was the, what got cut out. Um, it's not as if they're producing it. And so, you know, it, anyway, it, sometimes it's good to remember that. I, I mean, I, I say that and I think, Paul, oh, that's pretty simple stuff. It's not exactly rocket science, but it almost is in today's world.
0: Well, you know, if people forget what the obvious is, they forget to see the obvious. And and sometimes we seem to belabor things like that, the obvious. But, you know, if people are just ignoring an obvious truth, then they cease to see it as, as truth or obvious. So we, the basics, the simple basics, sometimes we have to come back to over and over again.
1: It's true, and and we know it in our own lives sometimes, or at least I I always feel this way that, uh, you know we we if if we get off on something, if it's uh, anything from from work to you know a, a hobby or you know playing tennis or this or that, you you get away from the fundamentals, and you got to go back to the fundamentals, and you have to you know. It's funny. I, I played volleyball the other day with, with my daughter, and and I was joking because I learned stuff right off the bat. I learned that you know what in volleyball you have to watch the ball. It's 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 crazy. And then I realized you know that's funny that that kind of runs across all these sports. And then I, after a couple, I got low to hit the you know, and it was like oh sometimes you have to bend your knees because I'm always I'm always giving my daughter a hard time that you have to bend your knees in tennis. But it's like. Life is so much fundamentals and uh, and basic incentives and common sense stuff, and it's like if you get that stuff right, it goes well. And it's this. I think it's it's also true in in government. If I and and to jump back to uh, not so much Thatcher but Reagan, who I feel like I know better a lot better, um, he succeeded. By having clear, obvious, commonsensical ideas and messages that were often repeated and that in the end won the day. And, and from a communication standpoint, um sadly not always from a policy standpoint, but from a communication standpoint was very, very effective. And and you know, it's important for people to remember that that you know the 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 big picture don't forget the you know don't don't uh don't forget the forest for the trees
0: well i went into that first election in 1980 concerned mainly about social security as an institution and its place in society and then early in his administration he had greenspan fix it and that fix i think was a actually a very bad fix because it just merely did what Governments add to the Ponzi element in social security is that it it just ramped up the contributions and uh, that is the taxes and the problem with something like social security, which we say is giving us more security, it's also given us generation over generation more control over our lives and more more of our wealth taken from us and because that's the way the nature how do they fix the imbalances of the nature of the of the system, and they fix it by ramping up the amount of your wealth every year that young people have to pay in to pay for old people. And now it's completely out of whack. And the Democrats, I I wonder if the Democrats are doing a lot of this mass spending frenzy just simply to cover for and as an excuse for the fact that Social Security isn't going to work like they think it's going to work. It's uh, it's it's uh, having real stressors. The stressors we've been talking about for the last 15 years uh, are increasing now because there are there's less going into it. And uh, the number of people uh, hasn't appreciably decreased, uh, even with COVID taking out the oldest. Um, Your Friday piece. Today, Friday, we're recording on That's Friday. That's where I
1: wanted to jump
0: to. Yeah, it makes perfect See, sense.
1: See, this is the way we should always do it. On the fly, we're just simpatico. Well,
0: it's just th- this is the other one about uh, how the swamp works, or the, how the, how the how yeah. Washington, D.C. works, and about massive spending. In this case, uh, the uh, infrastructure plan, that uh, $2.3 is the planned uh, Biden administration infrastructure
1: plan. That's quite a lot of money. No, it's just two point two. Oh, is that it? Oh. We're saving that. Dude. We're saving that another uh, 100000000000 billion. Don't worry about it. I'm sure we can spend it somewhere else. Um, yes, it's, it's, you know, years ago it dawned on me that, you know, I'd always kind of thought of government as, you know, this way to uh, structure society and keep the peace and do all these things. And unfortunately, there's this element of graft, you know, that kind of comes along with it. In the dark corners, in the smoke-filled rooms, and uh, and uh, having been in Washington for a while, I think there's this thing called government, which is graft. <laughs> and then occasionally, on the edges, somebody will do something good for someone, or you know, it it's there. We we have to recognize that when billions are spent. Not, not millions, billions. That's a thousand million. When a thousand millions are spent, it's hard to keep track of it. A little error here or there, a little bit taken off is a big bunch. And it's, it, the bigger pots of money there are, and this is true in the private sector as well as in government, the more there tends to be some ways, because everyone's thinking, well, there's all this money we can do well, why not get the really good you know uh whatever thing you're going to buy they cost just a little bit more cuz this whole project is so big and and there's just huge amounts of of waste but that's when that's in a kind of a good system where you're going to have waste and you fight it as as best you can and and look you can't you know if something requires spending you know, billions, then it requires spending billions. Well, we're talking about trillions. So we're talking about million millions. And that's a lot, that's a whole lot. And we're also talking about spending it to where before it ever leaves the Congress to go to the administration to different projects, to the states, to the nonprofit group that's doing this or that, before it ever gets out there to them for, for them to spend and maybe, oh, we wasted this or we did this really well or whatever, it's a process that is corrupt and purposely corrupt. And again, this is not new to President Biden. Let's just big sign, not new, not new. It's it's old. Every time you would think in a crisis all last year, uh, you know, especially at the beginning, I thought you would think in a crisis that maybe they could do a bill about, you know, helping people. That was just about that. That didn't have any of the okay. And now here are all my cronies that I need to fund. And here's what I've wanted for 10 years. And now that everyone's all worried about this pandemic or a war or something like that. I can jam my special interest crony payoff into this bill or my ideological, you know, dream into this bill. And uh, you know, the first relief package was a tiny percentage relief package. And most of that was stupidly envisioned and will be not very helpful, but Uh, it was a tiny bit was that, and only a tiny bit of this infrastructure is infrastructure. And even that is done in a completely political, terrible way. Um, So it's, and and the more you have swamp everywhere, the more regular, decent people have to deal with companies that are part of the swamp. And the more that you deal with those companies, the more you have to accommodate different parts of the swamp, and the more that you might be tempted to say, well, you know, I mean, how many small businessmen thought if someone said to them, because someone said to me, and I thought, really, Uh, (laughs) but said to them, hey, you need to apply for some of these funds, that will pay you all this money. If you, you know, if you don't lay anyone off the expectation, I think is that you, you end up just getting the money. It's just free money. And you know, how many times does that, if, if you have to think about that every day, do I take this payoff or this payoff or whatever? Um, you know, it's just, it's a different type of world and it's a different type of person who's going to be successful in that world or in this world where maybe that, you know, in the future, the most important thing, maybe people who can fill out government paperwork to get all this money they're handed out. I hate filling out paperwork. I do too. I'm going to be a very poor person. <laughs> I wonder what kind of jobs the people who are good at filling out paperwork are going to have people doing, because that's, that's probably what you and I'll be doing, Tim. Well, uh, the
0: audacity of the swamp is what it was called. Uh, and it, that was your point was that it's a the whole infrastructure thing is a crony capitalist endeavor. You were working off of a piece by uh, Veronique de Rougie at uh, Reason.com.
1: There was also a, another point here that uh, I think was interesting, and that is that part of what the Democrats are trying to do here to, you know, it's kind of one of these, hey, let's find some things we can do so that we can claim we're going to get money to offset some of the big spending. And so they're going after tax preferences for the fossil fuel companies. Because, of course, the people who've gone and extracted oil so that we can run our cars and have the society that's produced so much wealth that you know, billions of people can live and eat and do stuff, they're terrible people, obviously. And we want them to suffer. Anyway, um, if their preferences, let's get rid of them all. So no, no preferences need to be there for them. But the idea is let's get our base excited because we're slapping something, either even handedness or something on the fossil fuel industry. And of course, you know that it's not even handedness because they're gonna wanna do all kinds of giveaways as they've been doing for years and years and years to green energy. Um, I'd like the energy that can stand on its own. That's what I'd like be our energy.
0: Yeah, the idea of energy being efficient and economically efficient as well as engineering <laughs> efficient. It doesn't seem like a radical idea, but the Democrats do love their Solyndras. So we're going to have a cylindra economy for some time, I'm sure. Now of your pieces in the middle of the week, the three pieces, you know, week is five and there's three in the middle. Uh, they were all about the, in some sense, about the uh, pandemic
1: Yes, and let's, let's go to Lab Rats 2 and 3, which we have to mention Lab Rats, the, the original. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a new hope. Anyway, uh, uh, and then uh, we'll close with the vaccines without passports, because I think that's a really simple but important point. Okay. Uh, so on Tuesday, we did Lab Rats 2. Which was last week we did lab rats, and what is what what the heck are we talking about? Um, and, and of course, a, a friend of both of ours uh, uh, who you know know pretty well, uh, gave us a hard time because of course the picture we had up was not rats, it was mice, and so but you, know, what can you do? Well this
0: new, this week there were no rodents in the picture.
1: That's true, that's true. No rodents were used or injured in any of the pictures this week. But we talked about the virus and where it came from, and of course, what was it? Uh, June. It was June of last year. There was an article in Newsweek, which basically talked about the U.S. under Anthony Fauci's, you know, uh, you know, he was the head of of the of the organization, sent money to the Wuhan Institute for Virology, uh, of Virology. So uh, I think it's, uh, anyway, um, so he sent, I think it was $7 million. which uh, is not a huge sum, um, but they were doing gain of function research with bat uh, coronaviruses and so on and so on. And gain-of-function, I'm I'm the furthest thing from a scientist, but uh, I'll tell you what little I know, which is that uh, basically gain-of-function, they are working to get viruses to jump and to jump from bats to animal, and animal, you know, make them to where they would be able to jump to humans and then figure out how to kill them. And And... At least for me, I don't think anybody working on this is, you know, some evil, you know, Dr. Jekyll or something. Or is it Mr. Hyde? Who's the bad one? Uh, It's Mr. Hyde, isn't it? Uh, But anyway, um, I don't think this is some evil intent, but I think it's, you know, it's ethically a a heck of of a dilemma because if you're creating these super viruses and then killing them off, and you do it flawlessly where none of those super viruses ever jump out and get somebody. And, and, they, and I've been told they use all kinds of precautions and blah, 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 blah. And, they, and I'm sure the precautions are brilliant and they have 16 levels. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm more in the social sciences. And so what I know and know and know and just know in every fiber of my being is that nothing is foolproof because the fools are so ingenious, and if if human beings can create a super virus and create a lab that is just technically so efficient and train people so well that they can do everything perfectly, still somehow <laughs> there's going to be. I mean, what happens if if lightning strikes the building and the you know I mean. It's just, it's scary stuff. And this gain of function research, um, you know, should be debated. And we, the people, I mean, this is, this is I'm a broken record, but part of our problem in this world is that we, the people, are a bunch of spectators who, you know, we have a little clicker we can hit, oh, I like this or I like that, and maybe somebody will listen. And it's better in the marketplace because we're actually given dollars and they, they pay more attention. But in public policy, we're, we're, we're not at arm's length. We're at like five billion arm's length. and And so we just don't, you know, we don't have much say-so. We're not in the conversation. And we don't hear much. Our media believes that we're really not up to the task of being democratic citizens, making decisions politically. And so we just get so much info. And I would have thought this story from last June, the, the, the uh, uh, commentary at thisiscommonsense.org was 12 monkeys in charge, question mark. And of course 12 monkeys uh, was the uh, uh, Bruce Willis movie about the uh, virus that man, you know, that scientist engineered and that wiped out a huge part of the, it's a fictional story, but well, at least we're, we're hoping it's a fictional story.
0: And a Terry Gilliam film based on a French film. So.
1: Oh, and that's it. he did Brazil.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, okay.
0: It's one of his great you movies. Know,
1: yes, yes. Well, so this this is what I think we know, and, and so we're we're talking about Lab Rats two, which we did Tuesday, and Lab Rats three. Two uh, was subtitled not the sequel, mind you, but the conspiracy, and then three was doubling down on danger. And so let's just review from the three lab rats, one uh, last week. We know that China, the government in China, arrested a a doctor who was saying, this is going human-to-human transmission, at a time at which they were not willing to tell the world that. And in fact, we're telling the world that was not what what was happening. So from the very earliest time, the totalitarian impulse in China led to a cover-up that, according to one study that we talked about way back when, a year ago I think it came out, uh, said that had they not waited around for weeks and lied and so on, that maybe 95% of the people who had contracted the disease would not have. Um, so that's, that's kind of a serious, serious problem, but it's not just that. And of course, in some ways, um, you know, it's, it looks worse for China if this lab was doing biological weapons as, okay, I'm sure, you know, you could look on the internet and somebody would suggest that. Not any real evidence for that. Of course, there's not really evidence for all kinds of things.
0: But gain-of-function research is technically biological weaponry. I mean, by some definitions, it is biological weaponry. I'm not saying that it was saying that's just a weapon. I'm saying that gain-of-function research doesn't look any different, really, from biological weapon research.
1: That's uh, I was headed there, and that's such a great point. Because No, 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 I'm glad you brought it up, because... You know, you know me, I might not have gotten there. I might have gotten taken a side trip. Uh, but, but it is um, the sort of thing where we're so quick to want to debunk everything and, oh, that's you don't have any evidence and so on. This whole issue of where did this virus come from, we don't know. If we knew, it's like when you've lost someone and said, well, where'd you leave it? If I knew where I left it, I'd, I'd go there. I'd pick it up. I'd have it it's the same here. We don't know the answer. So anything that someone suggests is going to be evaluated on, is that plausible? Is there any indications that that's true or not true? And you still hear people all the time talking about the wet market when there are some indicators some factors that make that very, very unlikely. And now most of the the WHO and China and others, you know, most of the officials don't believe that, but I still see people talking about, well, that's most likely. Um, we don't know, but that doesn't look likely. And the lab, it just struck me that from the, that this story a year ago got no traction um, when, The WHO finally, after almost a year, I guess it was a full year, they get into China, they have, what was it, 14, was it 21 or 14 or 17, I don't know what the number was, but it was a certain number of outside scientists matched up with a Chinese scientist. They go over to Wuhan, they investigate, whatever that means, I'm about to talk about what some of that means. And the first thing we hear before they file their report, the first thing we hear is it's extremely unlikely that it came from a lab. Okay, now the first thing I want to know is, oh that's interesting, they must have bumped into some information that led them to believe that was much less likely than before. What information did they bump into? Well, they went to that lab, they had an hour lecture, they were told about the procedures, the different procedures, the careful procedures. No one said, hey, here's where it it escaped. Uh, It's silly, there was no real investigation. They haven't looked at any of the records there. There's been no independence, no material found. Um, But most of the news media, the story they ran with, without any real critical analysis, was that the lab is not where it is. That's extremely unlikely. And But then, of course, it starts to come out that they haven't really looked at that, that there wasn't anything there, that there's no reason for them to have that position. And then the report is coming out. Well, as the report's coming out, it turns out that the report mentions several things. For instance, that someone at that lab uh, had said that there were people there who were sick in the fall at the lab, were sick. Did they look into it? No. But boy, that sure kind of suggests that there could be a problem. There was also another lab in Wuhan that moved its its location in early December, which, you know, and maybe that's a big nothing. It probably is. But it's just, you know, these, these are little tidbits because we're not, one, even the WHO came out. As its report came out and again said, it's extremely unlikely it came from a lab, even the director Tedros, uh, Tedros, Tedros, uh, their, um, you know, director general or whatever, uh, came out and poo pooed the report, said that, and because one of the things the report suggested was no more looking into the lab. <laughs> and he said, no, they need to look into the lab. And then 13 different countries said, no, we need to be looking at all of these things. And then, of course, Trump's CDC guy, who, of course, we can't believe, if you're half the country, we can't listen to anything he says, even though he's a virologist and he's a very accomplished person. And he, if you listen to him, he's very reasonable. He says he doesn't know, but that's his best estimation of what, from what he knows, that it came from a lab. Um, so anyway, but, but he comes out and says that's what he thinks. And all of a sudden he's attacked. He was attacked. One of the things, the, the editorial I saw with the, uh, from the Baltimore Sun uh, basically said, you know, you're feeding the fuel against you know, these anti-Asian hate crimes and so on. This is ridiculous garbage thrown at this scientist who said, look, I don't know. I don't have any smoking gun evidence. This is what I think. And I'm free now as a private citizen to say what I think. We have to get to a world where more people say things like, I'm free to say what I think. Or we're not going to find the answers to these things. And we're about to get what, what Rats 3 and Doubling Down on Danger is about is the harm of not getting to the bottom line of this i mean you know some people could point to smoking gun biological research in the in china this or that um, and i think it'd be hard to ever show anything like that but what we talked about on wednesday with with lab rats 3 is the fact that we are in the process of doubling down on this very same sort of research, and uh, great uh, Josh Rogan, who uh, I've been uh, following for a while at the Washington Post, uh, writes a lot about uh, China and East Asia, and has had some some interesting pieces. I don't always agree with him, but. Uh, but uh, learn stuff from reading his columns, which is always kind of my my test of whether I want to read your column. And um, he pointed out uh, not only that it's been an ongoing effort to lambaste anyone who talks about the lab and that it isn't just China doing that, it's U.S. scientists who work with China doing that. It's the scientific community, in a sense, all wanting to do this research and not wanting their funding cut. And I, and I don't say that in some nasty, they're all about the, the Benjamins. Although I always find it interesting that everybody seems to be about the Benjamins, but certain groups we like to pretend are not about the Benjamins. Um, you know. And it's, it's uh, politicians, if they get money from somebody, Oh, they're, they're beholden to them, but somehow scientists aren't? It's interesting. Anyway, um, the, so here's, here's something. and uh, This is, uh, I'm, I'm quoting from Josh Rogan's post column. Richard H. Ebright, a Rutgers University microbiologist and biosafety expert, said the entire genre of research, Redfield, that's the CDC director, was referring to, known as gain-of-function research, in which viruses are captured from the wild and developed in lab settings to make them more dangerous, needs to be thoroughly re-examined. And and one of the things, I I listened to a a podcast, I guess it was Matt Ridley uh, uh, who did it uh, this week, and it was after we put these to bed, But but he pointed out that, you know, that part of the thing that that sends red flags up is that the very people who say, you know, that this research is so important are the people who are saying, don't don't investigate the lab. And we need to find out what went wrong because we need to fix it so it won't go wrong again. But here's the rest of the story. Even worse than not finding the answer so that we can't fix it and some other pandemic could happen and there could be these problems. This is also, uh, well, I'll just just read it. The world's current plan to respond to the pandemic entails a huge expansion of precisely this type of research, Rogan explains. The 200 million program meant to predict virus outbreaks is set to grow into a $1.2 global Varome project. And um, and then, of course, I, he quotes this, the scientist Ebright saying, the plan is, having failed to predict and preempt and having possibly triggered the current pandemic, the plan is to increase the scale six times. So if if this pandemic came from a lab the, that, that lab in Wuhan, or other labs in Wuhan. And we're gonna expand this research all over the world? Let's find the answer. And, and And why, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a science writer, I'm not a political person who's big into science. Why am I talking about this? The only reason I'm talking about it is because I care about free speech. And political freedom, and I'm recognizing that we have this pandemic that kills 500,000 Americans plus, and we're all upset about that. But wait a second, we're not gonna. Our news media isn't gonna tell us the truth about what's happening with this lab. We're going to. We're going to hide it in all kinds of different ways. We've got. We've got international organizations that hid some of this stuff. We've got China, who we know is a bad actor. Um, but we also have the U.S. scientific community and the U.S. media playing into this. And part of it is, as Rogan points out, who's no, no friend of uh, Donald Trump, part of this is they could not allow too much blame to go on China when they had to take Trump out. And they just made that decision in terms of their coverage and focus that we cannot allow China to get the lion's share of blame. Trump has to get it. We have to take him out. That's the first priority. And if you're a political organization who has priorities like that, okay, that's your right. And it, and frankly, it's your right if you're a media organization. But I don't want my newspaper, I don't want my TV News. I don't, you know, if, if our news media is making those calculations, then we are being systematically lied to. And I think the conclusion is, we're being systematically lied to.
0: Well, yeah. There's another factor here, I think, that uh, why would the media generally and, and the, the, all the establishment defend gain-of-function research? Why would they do that? Well, it's a government program these these uh, these programs get shielding from government and they get funding from governments from China and from the United States and from other places and these people are pro-government why would they want to I mean there there has to be some degree to where there's an ideological class based element here they're of the class of people who promote big government this is a huge debacle It looks like it could be caused by big government. They don't want it to be attributed to big government because big government must be solution, but the cause must not be big government. When big government is the problem that big government is meant to solve, that's kind of annoying for them.
1: Yes, and how much better for the problem to be Donald Trump who didn't know government and who, that's why we have to have experts do it.
0: Yet it was Donald Trump who pushed through the uh, vaccines, uh, and right. made a big deal of it. And they were rejecting until Biden got in office and then he could be, be the front man for the vaccines. I mean, this is this was obvious. I mean, we had people like Kamala Harris saying she wouldn't take a vaccine if, if it was, you know... <laughs> <I> remember <laughs> that <laughs> past posturing? That was ridiculous. Everybody knew it was ridiculous, but they pretended it wasn't. So there's a lot of weird class, tribal elements in the politics here, I think.
1: I'm not sure which, which uh, uh, script it was this week. Um, But it was the last one we'll get to, which was actually Thursday's vaccines without passports, where uh, what you just said, it struck me that there's kind of a memory hole where where Kamala Harris. I haven't heard MSNBC hasn't been slapping her around. And and that's figurative there uh, in terms of how how could you say that? Because, of course, they like her. So that went down the memory hole. But we have. Uh, a link if you go to this thisiscommonsense.org uh, Vaccines Without Passports and it's a link to a story about Bill Gates and him saying basically that we need to have these vaccine passports it was a TED talk and then all of a sudden it was edited and it was like oh no that was never said well <laughs> someone seems to have found the evidence that it was said but um, we, you know, the, the memory hole, uh, you know, the Soviet Union, they could, you know, they used to have the pictures that they would, you know, airbrush out the guy that they murdered, uh, you know, in, in, in some, you know, uh, hit on, on one of their political rivals. And, and you know, but that's, that's a little bit more cumbersome. In a world where everything's online, it's almost seamless. And in a world in which you can make videos of people who are them, but they're not them, it's not real. Um, I mean, it, the future is, is very scary in this way. And, and I'm not scared of, oh, this is different. Oh, they're reading on a Kindle and not a real book. Or, you know, I'm, you, know you, you like what you like, but, but progress is not, I'm not scared of progress. But it, it dawned on me uh, long after being excited about the internet and excited, frankly, about the ability of social media to mobilize people politically and to overthrow, you know, terrible regimes, you know, the Arab Spring, some of the different things that, you know, it was just exciting to see that maybe, maybe a whole wave of freedom could be unleashed by some of this technology and by the internet and the ability to communicate. And, and now, uh, in recent years, i have just, just absolutely scared to death of the ability of governments to hit a kill switch and just turn off communications. Um, you know, how many people have a mimeograph machine in their basement to do the flyers to hand out to people when the you know, internet is uh, closed down? But but really more insidious than that because everyone knows they're being had when when they hit the kill switch. That's kind of uh, you know that's kind of the low level tyrant. More sophisticated is to create false worlds. I mean the, the the CCP the Chinese Communist Party hires millions of people to post things online to say different things to you know it, the ability to manufacture history and a and a different reality and to have all kinds of bots or hired workers you know posing as different people I mean we're in a we're in a different type of world than we've been in in a in a significant way and the the problem is we we don't seem to have the same respect for freedom of speech that we once did. And if, if with all these controls seemingly more in other people's hands than our own, we need to have the control over what we say. And um, anyway, that, that wasn't what the script was about. The script is about two governors who came out and said, we're not gonna do anything to create a situation in which people have to have a vaccine passport to travel in our society, where and and uh, Abbott, who who was second to uh, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, who was smeared ridiculously by 60 Minutes, and you know, 60 Minutes has always been a rough and tumble media outfit, uh, but had some respect because of that. Um, oh, oh, talk about just—it's almost like. It's time to close the show down. It's been on for what forty years, fifty years, or something. It's been on for a long time and had and had a, a decent reputation. Um, and that reputation has gone. What they their attack on Desantis is outrageous, dishonest, and totally political.
0: I didn't watch it, so I don't really know much about that. Uh, but I do know that that the coverage generally of Desantis. And Florida and how, you know, early when DeSantis started rebelling from the lockdown idea, uh, they predicted that Florida would go through these hor- horrific death rates and hospitalization rates of the COVID infections. It didn't happen. And now they sort of have to
1: snipe at them.
0: They don't. They don't have the ability to take numbers on their side. And the same thing is happening in Texas.
1: Yeah. But I I thought uh, uh, Abbott said it very clearly. These vaccines are always voluntary, never forced. And I wish that governors, presidents, mayors would have that same attitude about other mandates and not make them mandates and say, look, this is what we're asking everybody to do as a patriotic city dweller, as a patriotic American, as a Texan, as a whatever, and um, and you know it, again that's how you bring people together instead of ripping them apart. Um, but anyway, I, I I thought it was you know neither you know neither uh, executive order you know was is going to win the day it's you know freedom and and uh abundance has not been ushered in for the next millennium but uh but it's taking an action ahead of time to say no 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 no. uh and of course you know we we point out that new york city they already have these you know they have everything in place to basically make it mandatory and and clamp down on people and uh and so I, I i salute these two governors for being ahead of the game on this one.
0: And uh, it is worth mentioning that uh Bud Abbott, not Bud Abbott, oh that's the name I always keep on thinking. It's Greg Abbott is the is the governor's name of Texas. Yes. Bud Abbott is Abbott and Costello. Is is Abbott that right? Costello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually I'm much more familiar with the work of uh, uh Abbott and Costello. Uh, well, but...
1: <laughs> actually their work may be a little bit better too, but but he's a good governor.
0: Okay. Um he did say that you know the the, the they were still going ahead distributing uh the vaccines. Uh, I'm still annoyed with that uh, because to me, we do know that the most important thing people can do for their health with whatever we're facing here in this pandemic is to make sure they have plenty of vitamin D in their system and to be healthy and that they should be, this is the time when they need to be very concerned about their health. And if you go off and take a vaccine, but you aren't worried about your Vitamin D levels. I just find it weird. It's just not rational.
1: Well, this is you know, uh, and and people who don't you know don't read common sense every day. I don't know what's wrong with you people, but uh, but they might not know we have written about this. But I I've seen very little about it. Um, it appears from the research that's been done, and obviously this is all new. So you know, sometimes people get it wrong. But it appears that vitamin D deficiency is correlated strongly with severe reactions to COVID-19. A lot of times when people talk like, uh, oh, this this is really hurting people of color, what they are saying on all kinds of different issues is this is hurting people who are poorer. Who are going to tend to live in places that aren't, aren't going to have as good access to health care. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of different factors, but that's not the case here. The case here is that if, if this is accurate and this, you know, the indications are that, that these are correlated for a reason, um, well, I guess that's, that's the ultimate issue, is that, are they just correlated or is it something else? But, but the, the bottom line is uh, people of color tend to be more deficient when it comes to vitamin D and of course you get vitamin D through your skin so the more melanin you have in your skin the less absorbing of of uh, vitamin D you are that's my you know scientific uh, explanation there anyway um, so this is a real thing it's never talked about because it I think it's almost like it's Maybe it's not important enough, it's not earth-shattering enough, but a part of me has this kind of really not happy thought that this wouldn't play into the way they want to talk about race. And, 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 And look, they get to talk how they want, but when you think that they might talk in a more honest, informative way and save thousands of people's lives people of color, you know, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? And and so, and, and and this is not just for people of color, a decent, what is it, 20% or something of, uh, I think it's like 20% of Caucasian people in the United States are deficient in vitamin D. So if, if you happen to be as white as Snow White, you still might wanna get you some vitamin D. I've got some downstairs, I'm popping those pills uh but but you know and I I drink milk and I try to get outside but uh if you are black or hispanic or you know whoever you are you why not take vitamin D and make sure you're not deficient but especially if you're more likely to be deficient and uh and why the media in all of their always telling us everything like we don't know anything here's something that people don't know that you could tell us that would literally save lives and crickets
0: right and uh, well we've mentioned before the the other similar element to this whole thing is that the media and and the mainstream political practice and belief was against HCQ partly for anti-trump reasons right and right. uh and now HCQ is recommended as one of the treatments. But if the treatments that aren't a vaccine had been played up in the media and in practice, and had been actually shown to work, that the fast tracking of the vaccines would not have been allowed under uh, American law. So uh, it was very important uh, for the big pharma companies to downplay simple treatments like HCQ. Which are, after all, generic drugs. They, they you don't make right. ma, you don't make billions and billions and trillions off of pumping out H C Q. No one does, uh, except right. the, you know I mean, you just you just make a good living, right? And uh, so it's an interesting problem. Is is that there? It's more than just it's more than just ideological. It's also who has the money, and these these uh, major pharma companies are going to make a lot of money off of the subsidies and the fast tracking of these vaccines which are new types of technology and are not the old type of vaccine. Even yes. the AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson, um, what, do they, what do they call it, the Janssen uh, uh, use of the adenovirus virus uh, vaccine is not a normal vaccine. Uh, so as far as I understand it, this is not my area of expertise, of course, but boy, it, this is a confusing time because there's so many balls in the air and there's so much to learn.
1: But it it is important to know kind of where the money is and where where people's loyalties lie and so on. And I think one of the interesting things in Lab Rats and and that three part, you know, series of commentaries um, is that, you know, I, I talk a lot about China you know as a as a dangerous player in the world and and from a political standpoint and i was doing that before there was any pandemic it's i'm not angry uh, with china so much about the pandemic as about human rights and and them being totalitarian tyrants um but it it is the way totalitarians behave about things what's interesting is to see the money i mean the the, the rest of the story as paul harvey used to say on this one is that there's huge financial interests, both individual scientists who are part of it and industries and so on, in that not being the answer. And uh, I really encourage people to read this series because it, it sh- it, I think it shows how much we are lied to. And, and lie might not be the perfect word but we are, you know, when someone steers you in a direction away from something, it always makes me kind of want to look in the direction they're steering me away from. And that's been true of this story. It was, It's also true about the masks. When I kept hearing that the mask, that if I put on a mask, the world might explode because it'd be so counterproductive and everything, I thought, this is insane. And I pretty much had figured out that I suspect that they don't want people rushing to buy up all the masks, but it didn't make any sense because the N95 masks people weren't going to get anyway, and those are the masks that that were short and that were a problem uh, because you need it if you're you know if you're a nurse doing surgery and so on and so on. Um, but it just didn't sound right, and then of course when they go to masks are the most wonderful thing in the world, and if you could just wear 62 masks over your face, you'd never have another problem. That didn't make sense. And this whole reluctance to look at the lab as a possibility and the way they talk about it. It's like with a lot of things. It's the Hunter Biden story. The reason I really am interested in that story is because before I heard three sentences about it, I was told how debunked it was. I was told that it was not of interest. And so I'm interested. And, and, you know, uh, people talk sometimes about uh, the public in China likes their government and so on. and But, of course, they can't say anything against it. And so you always look and kind of wonder, you know, because I figure they're reading between the lines, just like everybody does. And that recent, uh, what was it, Clubhouse app, where all of a sudden they got access to it and it wasn't being surveilled. And they said all kinds of very nasty things about their government. But... You know, we are in America having to read between the lines, and maybe we should have been reading between the lines the whole time. I mean, I, I sometimes think I probably spent a lot of my life reading an article in the newspaper and believing way too much of it as accurate or even even connected to reality. Um, but we really have to do that now. I don't think in those times that, well, I, I won't say that because, you know, we we definitely know we need to now and this lab story and i'm not nowhere in any of these do i say this came from a lab and so on and so on i don't know but it's it's just very informative to see major media the scientific community politicians china the un uh we don't have a lot of truth-tellers out there, and and we, uh, you know, it, it, it creates a situation, as we said in one of the, the scripts we talked about, the fact that, you know, everybody's a conspiracy theorist, as if that somehow just means we don't have to listen to them. Well, when you're lied to all the time, and you have to kind of read between the lines and try to figure out what the heck is happening in my world, well, you tend to be more open to that. And, and, you know, I try to always say, look, you have to be open to what could be without saying it is because you don't know it is. But um, but we have to be open to that and we have to stop. <laughs> Anytime I hear something is debunked, I want to learn more about it.
0: Well, that sounds like a great place to end right there.
1: All right. We are, we are hereby uh, adjourned.
0: Well, that was This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob for the first full week of April 2021. I recorded this on April 9th, and this will be up on April 10th. So to find what you need from Paul Jacob, go to thisiscommonsense.org. He writes commentary five days a week, and we present this podcast in audio and video on the weekend. There's more there, too. This (music) Thisiscommonsense.org.